Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonic. Man, how are you doing on this fantastic early Friday morning? I'm feeling really, really good, man. Honestly, like I wish I had a Zoa. Like I need me a little, <laughs> just a quick little stim, real quick, man. But overall, I'm really excited, bro. I'm really excited to talk about this episode. Uh, I really liked our last one, and I like kind of the feedback we got, kind of from both sides. Uh, some people said we were a little bit too negative. Some people said we were, you know, kind of called it how we see it. So overall, man, I'm really excited to be here. Really excited to talk about the playing stuff, and uh, <laughs> let's just get into this, bro. Let's. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, and just so our listeners are aware, we're recording this podcast on April 8th at about 9 a.m. Central Time. But, Dame, we're finally closing the book on another regular season. And just like we predicted in the previous episode, the Spurs have officially clinched one of the final play-in spots in the Western Conference play-in tournament. And as it stands right now, San Antonio will face the Pelicans in New Orleans next Wednesday with the hopes of making their playoffs for the first time since 2019. So before we dive into that matchup, what have you seen from the Spurs since the last time we hopped on the mic? Because they're 7-3, and three, and I know a lot of people are saying they're playing their best basketball of the season. What are your opinions? What have you seen from them? First, I think I, in the intro, in the beginning part, I said, call it how we seed it. So that's how you can tell it's definitely early in the morning, because I don't know what what I'm, <laughs> what I'm on right now. But no, um, overall, man, I think for me, obviously we have to take into context like the teams that they're playing, right? I mean, you're playing... You know, two, what was it? How many times did they played Portland over the stretch? Like three times, two times? Uh, three times. Yeah, three times. And they're not even an NBA team right now. Um, so I get, like, I'm glad they're taking care of business that they should be. I think that's more so what I'm taking, you know, away from this entire stretch of who's for them, Noah, is I already know they can beat bad teams. We know this. So I'm glad they're still doing it, right? But at that same t- in that same kind of breath here, I'm not going to sit here and take a whole lot of stock. Uh, I put a whole m- m- uh, much stock in what they've been doing over this stretch because it's against really bad competition. Now, I will say beating you know Denver, although Denver was, what was it, 3 of 17 on open threes the other night, beating Denver without DeJounte Murray is a, a, a win that I think they should kind of kind of hang their hat on over this stretch. But all in all, man, I don't think I've seen anything that's really wowing me over this stretch other than the fact that I'm glad they're taking care of the business that they should be taking care of. I hope that doesn't sound like too negative, but at the same time too, I'm not going to sit here and sell y'all wolf tickets and say they're beating the Suns or they're beating Philly or they're beating, you know, whomever over this stretch. They're not, but in that same breath, be happy with, with what they're doing. They have, you know, early on in the year showed the ability to play, you know, up and down to competition and kind of right now they're kind of playing more consistent. So I think overall uh, what stood out to me is, the Spurs are just taking care of business, man. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing, you know, too crazy. But at the same time, I think everyone should be um, just content, excited for this playing. And um, I'm really, really curious to hear your perspective. I know we have some other things we'll talk about, but I think I want to just jump right into this, bro. Personally, for you, man, how much stock are you putting into this playing berth? Because <laughs> you've kind of been a guy that's been up and down on it. I'm really curious to get your perspective on this, man. Yeah, like I said last time, the Spurs are getting into the play-in not because they're playing like elite basketball right now. It's more, you know, the recent soft schedule in conjunction with all these other teams kind of just phoning it in for the rest of the season. I mean, let's let's be honest. They beat the shorthanded Thunder on a buzzer beater after they blew a massive lead. They routed the openly 
tanking Blazers three times. We already talked about that. They outlasted the Steph Curryless Warriors on a last-second go-ahead bucket from Keldon Johnson, which is amazing. But Draymond Green also got ejected early in the second half of that, so it's not like they were playing a contender at full strength. Then you had them blowing a huge lead to the tanking Rockets. They barely hold on to win that one. They survived the Pelicans minus Brandon Ingram after they blew a 10-point lead with less than four minutes left in that game. I mean, Dame, I'm not trying to be overly negative here, but when I look at these games, the thing that I take away is, yes, they are taking care of business and they're able to hold on for these wins. But that's not really winning basketball to be blowing these massive leads against bad teams. I mean, you held on, but these teams, just like you had a chance to beat the Thunder and you had a chance to beat Golden State on a buzzer beater, they're a buzzer beater away from beating you as well. So I don't know if the Spurs are playing their best basketball of the season. The one thing I will say is the Denver blowout, that's a huge confidence booster. I mean, you just beat a team on the road with the reigning MVP, probably going to be back-to-back MVP. And I know that he went off for like 40-something points or 38 points or something like that. But really, you held everybody else in check. In that same breath, they let the Denver Nuggets shoot 17 wide-open threes. They went 3-for-17 on those open threes. That's only about 17%. The Nuggets shoot 35% on open threes this season, so... I wouldn't hedge your bets on letting a team shoot that many open threes, and we saw it the very next game. The Timberwolves hit 23s. Dame, 23s in a game. Anthony Edwards drops a career-high 49 points. And I guess I what, what I take away from this is I don't really know how to evaluate this team. I don't want to be overly negative. I don't want to sing their praises either and say, man, they're playing you know the best basketball of the season. They're really rolling. I mean, I just don't know where to land on the spectrum here. They've made it really tough to evaluate them. But one thing I do know is they've had a lot of players individually who've shown a lot of strong things. And I think that's something we should dive into because yeah. regardless of who they're playing, you know, they can't, we've said this before, you know, they can't really choose who they play. They're just going to play who's in front of them. So the one thing that really stands out is they have a lot of young players who are playing well right now. And I think that's something we should definitely dive into. Yeah. I think for me, the guy that, you know, really stood out to me is Devin Vassell. It's interesting because when you look at his individual numbers as a starter and a reserve, although he's playing, you know, as a starter, I believe it's, where's the numbers at? Yeah, like about six minutes more per game as a starter. The usage is the exact same. The true shooting percentage is around the same. Uh, the three-point percentage is higher. The field goal percentage is lower. Overall, he's in kind of that same exact role he was off the bench. But I think as a starter, he provides some needed versatility at the two, the three, uh, that you kind of really need in the modern NBA, especially for a team like San Antonio that doesn't have any versatility at the three and the four. Uh, a guy like Vassell that kind of provides you that kind of that switchability, kind of one through three as a defender. I really liked what I've seen from him, although he's kind of struggled a little bit and in certain games kind of been a little bit up and down. What's interested or what's, you know, really, you know, interesting to me, Noah, is he's in a role that's so like similar to what he was already in that, you know, moving him to the starting lineup for me. I'm kind of like, not shocked, but I'm more so impressed that he's able to still be effective in this role, and Coach Pop is confident enough to kind of still put him in this role, and I think long-term, man, he's really you know proving to be that player that I believed in terms of value that you need to have him around because no matter where you go, you know, directionally as a franchise, Devin Vassell fits, man. So I think that's really stood out to me is, Vassell's able to do whatever you need <laughs> really man I mean talk about you know a, a gadget kind of player that could just really fit in whatever whatever you know what's going on man Devin Vassell's the chicken breast of this first team man you can put chicken breast cook it however you want you can get a grilled chicken parm <laughs> you can barbecue chicken no matter what it is man that's Devin Vassell so I think for me man what's really stood out with Devin Vassell specifically is his versatility his ability to be effective and overall he's emerging and becoming that player that me and you have talked about for so long so uh, Devin Vassell is a guy I really like. And he's shooting really well from three right now. You know, for, from his last nine games, he's taken almost six and a half three-point attempts per game. He's shooting 44.8% from three. So like we mentioned, or as you mentioned a second ago, he's not really shooting that well from other areas. He's struggling to finish around the rim over those nine games. You know, 57% at the rim, 30% in the paint on non-rim attempts, 35% from mid-range. But from the three-point range, I mean, man, he, he's been really good, and I think that's a huge stride for him because I still believe that he has some self-creation potential. I still think he can take some guys off the dribble every once in a while. We really see that he loves that little spin move to fade away. 
You know, that's kind of yeah. like his signature thing when he goes off the off the dribble. And usually it's only like a couple of dribbles and then he goes into that move. But really, the Spurs don't need him to be that self-creator, that go-to scorer. They need a guy who, at least how this team is constructed right now going into the play-in against the Pelicans, they need a guy who can catch and shoot, who can hit movement threes, because they're missing that with a guy like Doug McDermott on the sideline. So for me, Devin Vassell, you know, could he be more efficient in other areas? Definitely. You know, he is struggling in other areas, but him really lighting it up from three-point range, I think that's huge for the Spurs because they're a team that really doesn't have or didn't have a ton of three-point shooting, but he's going to provide that. And I, and I really firmly believe he's a guy who eventually at some point in his career will be shooting closer to 40% from three than he is for his first two years, which is about 35%. So really happy to see the progress he's made there beyond the arc. And I think another player who you wrote down on the rundown who we definitely should get into a little bit is Zach Collins. I mean, man, we've been... I don't want to say we've been <laughs> harsh on him because I think we were realistic with how he was producing, but we were also fair saying... You know, he hasn't he hasn't played in a year and a half. He doesn't know these players. He hasn't built chemistry with these guys. So, yeah. like, we weren't expecting him to be this world beater, but that was a realistic take. But now he's playing really well. Again, bad teams, but he can't help who he's playing against. And I'm looking over his last nine games, I believe, Zach Collins has scored in double figures in seven of them. And he's only shot below 50% once. So, Dame, what are you seeing from Zach Collins right now? Because, honestly, he may be playing some of his best basketball, not just of the season, but maybe even of his career. Yeah, I think for me, Zach Collins right now in the month of April, uh, through four games, you know, albeit uh, averaging 14.8 points, eight rebounds, 2.8 assists, shooting 56.3% from the field, 43% from three, although he's only attempted seven threes. He's never going to be, you know, <laughs> a high volume three-point shooter. So I think overall, man, I, I, I agree with you. I think this is probably some of the best stretch of hoops that we've seen, especially, you know, since he's come back. But overall, I mean, throughout his career, he's been kind of that up-and-down guy as well. I don't want to say the word disappointing. I guess underwhelming might be a better word, you know, throughout his career a little bit. But he just looks comfortable, man. I, how many times have me and you, you know, said, Zach just needs reps. He just needs to play. Like, that's the biggest deal here is just getting him out there, being able to play, you know, along these guys, really build up some chemistry and overall get back up to speed, get back to the NBA level, whether it's conditioning, whether it's, you know, the feel for the game, everything like that. And now it seemed like the game's kind of slowing down for him a little bit because like you mentioned, man, earlier on, you know, whenever we were talking about Zach Collins, it was getting to a point where you're kind of like, okay, if we talk about this guy again, it might sound like we're being a little too negative about what's going on. But now he's really starting to turn that corner. And I think, you know, let's say he has another, you know, good couple of games to close out the season in a solid playing game. That's kind of one of those things where I'm like, all right, like, that's a good place to end off. Now let's see how he can build from it. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, the plan is going to be the end-all, be-all for what I think about Zach Collins. But what I am saying is, for a player that's missed this much time, to see him finally start to come into his own, carve out a role, play much better. I mean, shooting 56% from the field, albeit in only four games, uh, attempting, you know, 32 shots, you'll take that from your rotational five any day of the week. So I think overall, no, if you're a Spurs fan, you should be happy. One last thing before I uh, dish, uh, uh, dish it to you real quick. You mentioned the shot creation about Devin Vassell. That's not an issue. Not saying that you said it was. That's not an issue right now because what's the player we've been projecting him to be, you know, right now has been Michael Bridges, right, in a role that's very similar to that. And now Michael's starting to sh uh, flash that a little bit now as well. But I think being on that trajectory isn't a bad thing. So in year two, if we're seeing this from Vassell right now, obviously there's a lot of improvements he needs to make. But I think overall everyone should be happy with that. And I think that Michael, you know, trajectory that you mentioned that you've been on for what a year and a half now, two years, I think that really fits him. So I'm going to dish it back to you, Zach Collins. I had to get one last thing about Devin Vassell though. I had to. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no problem. And I think like when, when I'm looking at Zach Collins, I think the things that really like pop off the screen for you is his efficiency. You know, since I think it's March 16th. So it was last nine games. 82% at the rim. Now, is that going to carry on forever? No, but that's really good for a player for his career. Only shot 58% at the rim, which is way below league average. So he's he's showing more touch at the rim. He's being more patient. He's being more aggressive. He's finishing through contact. He's getting to the free throw line. His fouls, which we were talking about. You know, this guy was nearly fouling out per 36 every game. It was like on the brink of six fouls per 36 only two fouls per game over his last nine games. His turnovers are way down. His assists are up. His three-point percentage is up. His three-point volume is up. So 
everything is sort of trending in the right direction for Zach Collins. So I'm happy to see that because really we had talked about it and it's like, okay, we can be patient with them and the Spurs have a nice contract here, but is this a situation where they go into the offseason going, okay, we need a plan B because right now Zach Collins as a backup five isn't working. But just like we were talking about Lonnie, you know, he had a really nice stretch. Are we going to buy into that long term? Maybe not. But it's same thing with Zach Collins. But at least him heading into an offseason, trending in the right direction, playing some of the best basketball of his career, building some confidence, being healthy, that's huge. Because I know that a lot of people were really excited for Zach Collins and they were a little bit disappointed, as you said. But, I mean, this gives you hope that he can build on this during the summer, maybe get in the gym, work on a few things, become a little more consistent. And that's huge for the Spurs because if they don't have to be searching for a backup five and they can rely on Zach Collins, suddenly that $7 million per year contract over the next couple of years, it looks really nice. It looks really, really nice. So definitely a guy that I think is proving himself, not just to Spurs fans, but also the coaching staff because Jock Landell isn't getting in the game anymore. This is a guy who, this is my role. He's taken over the role. There's no question, love Jock Landell, but there's no question who should be playing those minutes now. Yeah, 100%. I think right before I dish it to you about your guy Trey Jones, because we need to get into that, Zach Collins, I believe earlier on, like a, a couple of podcasts ago, like in terms of points per possession and, and, you know, the percentiles he plays as a role man, I think he was like in like the 10th percentile. Like he was really, it was really, really, you know, down there. Uh, right now, though, he's in the 57th percentile as a role man, you know, averaging 1.14 points per possession. So I think you're seeing a little bit, you know, obviously in a specific role like that, he's at a frequency of 27% there. So, you're going to see him improve there, right? As the, you know, the more time he plays in the league, I'm sure he's going to get better. I don't think he's a, a 20th percentile role man personally, but I think overall, man, you should be encouraged so far from what you've seen. Not to say he's going to be a world beater. Or he's going to be, you know, your starting five for years to come, but that's not why you brought him in. There's obviously other roles he can fulfill. And I think right now uh, he's in a solid place. So I think it's time, Noah, to talk about your guy, Trey Jones. <laughs> he's been keeping the Spurs offense afloat without DeJounte as a starter man his numbers look really really good I'm not going to tell you know the people these things I need you to tell them man so what have you seen about what have you seen from your guy Trey Stones man I need to hear this well first off let, let's talk about how there were a lot of Spurs fans not on just Twitter or Facebook just all <laughs> social media who were kind of starting to throw him under the bus like he was Bryn Forbes oh this guy can't shoot oh he's too small to defend oh he's a waste of minutes he shouldn't be out there he shouldn't be playing come on man He's a second-round pick, 41st overall pick. You didn't draft him to be the starter. You didn't draft him to play along DeJounte Murray for 25 minutes per game. You know, he was thrust into minutes because of injuries. And now we're seeing, you know, Trey Jones, he is that guy who can come off the bench and be your backup point guard. And if DeJounte Murray's hurt, he can fill in admirably as the spot starter. Man, over the last four games, nearly 14 points per game, nearly five rebounds per game, eight and a half assists per game in Dame two turnovers that's it and they both came against minnesota last night before that no turnovers in over a hundred minutes played in those first three games as a spot starter without Dejounte. so i mean he's starting to take threes off the dribble he's starting to take threes confidently as a catch and shooter now the volume isn't high you know 1.3 threes per game that's not gonna you know scream three-point shooter to anybody but the fact that he's working on these things mid-season that he's showing Pop, hey, you know, I, I want these minutes. I want to prove I'm worthy of this. I want to show you that I'm working on things that I've struggled with all season. Man, I, I'm really, really happy with what I've seen from Trey Jones because man, he he has just been one of the better, I would say almost, I, you could make an argument, the best second-round pick from his draft class. I mean, Dame, can, can you think of <laughs> other people? I mean, there's a few others who you can throw in there, I think, Maybe Kevin Martin, or not Kevin Martin, I'm sorry, Kevin <laughs> Martin Jr., uh, KJ Martin over with the uh, Houston Rockets. Maybe even a guy, and I, I someone on Twitter said Teal Maladon, but I mean, that guy's been pretty bad for the Thunder, and they're bad. He's in a bad context, but man, I think Trey yeah. Jones has an argument that he is the best second-round pick from his class already. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was, I, I kind of liked Jameis Ramsey coming out, and yeah, nah, th this, uh, there's no bias that could get you any way past saying that. Yeah, Trey Jones is, he's probably the the best second round pick in his class, and I think too, man. Adding on to that, you mentioned that he's a, uh, it was 34 assists to two turnovers, and the two turnovers were from the other night. As a starter in general, he has 76 assists to nine turnovers in 10 games as a starter, like. 
that is filthy. That I, I mean, what have we we've talked about Trey Jones so much and kind of that role as like kind of a heavy pick and roll ball handler kind of guard, whether it's off the bench as a starter or whatever, right? He just fits what the Spurs want to do. If they're going to run heavy pick and roll, right? They don't run a lot of isolation plays, so the self creation stuff isn't going to really be that too, that much of a factor as uh, you know as their starting guard. I believe the Spurs are they only run isolation like three point one percent of their offense, so. Yeah, they're 29th in the league I, yeah, in ISO. Yeah. yeah, like overall, Trey Jones just fits what the Spurs want to do. He ranks in the 67th percentile as a as a pick and roll ball handler according to points per possession at a frequency of 31%. Like, I think overall, Noah, you've been money with Trey Jones. I think for what the Spurs need, he fits that. And I think similarly, not to say he's like Devin Vassell, but similarly to a guy like Devin Vassell, that no matter where you go, Vassell just fits what you what you want to do. It's kind of the same thing with Trey Jones that. In the NBA today, you're gonna run heavy pick and roll. I mean, you're you're gonna run that, you know, a third of your of your offensive sets. It seems like, and Trey Jones fits that. So, I'm I've been really really encouraged, you know, from what I've seen from him. And I agree, man. I think some people were kind of quick to kind of jump on him and say he's not this, he's not that. But last time I checked, bro, not every point guard's gonna be John Morant. Not every point guard's gonna be Trey Young. Not every point guard's gonna be Chris Paul. So. You, you need, you know, rotational point guards. You need guys that can, you know, fit a specific play type, especially that fits for the modern NBA. And I think Trey Jones does that. So I'm happy for you, man. I'm happy that, that Trey Stones. Shout out to Matt, uh, Matthew, what's his name? Uh, Tinian, T- Tynan. Matt uh, Tynan, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I thought my nickname was better than yours personally, but uh, I guess he wasn't really feeling it. So it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, and, you know, I actually didn't make that up for him. I heard them say that when he hit this like big buzzer beater for Duke, he had he missed uh-huh. a free throw. He got his own rebound off the free throw. He hits a butter, buzzer beater against North Carolina and they win the game. And ever since I heard that, I was like, man, that's got to be his nickname. So I, I've heard people call him that before. I think it's fun. I mean, really, he he really has like he's been fearless. I mean, obviously, the three point shooting is coming along. He's still figuring things out. But I, I don't think you could ask for a lot more. From a guy who, I mean, previously for most of the season, he had been in and out of the rotation, 10 minutes here, five minutes there. And again, like this is against two games against Portland, one against Denver, one against Minnesota. So two playoff teams and then obviously two games against a team that's barely an NBA team right now. Like they, <laughs> they, they are one of the worst teams in NBA history just since they shut everybody down. But regardless, just like we mentioned with a guy like Devin Vassell, Zach Collins, they can't choose who they play. They're just going to go out there. They're going to perform. And Trey Jones is performing well. He's helped the Spurs go 3-1 and one without DeJounte. And that's awesome because when DeJounte comes back, now you have a backup point guard who, when DeJounte sits, you don't have to worry. He's going to keep things going. He's going to make sure the flow of the offense is you know, going right along. So really happy with those guys. Dame, is there anybody else who you want to talk about in particular over the stretch? Or should we move on to kind of the guy who's the star of the show recently with DeJounte gone? Yeah, I want to talk about Keldon Johnson, man. I, I specifically because you know we've had a couple of pieces on Pounding the Rock uh, discussing his game, and I think he's been fantastic. I had a line in my recent game preview uh, where I kind of talk about you know his you know, next step as an you know offensive talent, and I said you know on about eight drives per game, if Johnson can parlay these temporary skills off the dribble into a consistent output offensively, the Spurs shot creation issues may trend in a positive direction. And that's exactly what we're seeing from him. Uh, I clipped a couple of your clips as well in that article, so, you know, kind of showing that, hey, off the bounce, he's showing the ability to actually have vision and and make that pass to, you know, whether it's a Yaka Pertle rolling or a uh, kick to the corner, something like that. And we didn't see that, right? I, I mean, before, how many times have we talked about kind of the tunnel vision off the dribble? He's Kellen Johnson's really a, st- a straight line drive to the basket, and that's about it, right? But we've seen even a little bit of pull-up threes and stuff like that. So I think overall, man, I got to ask you, do you believe that we're seeing Keldon, you know, take another developmental leap as an offensive talent? Yeah, and and I think I'm a big proponent of don't call it before you see it because I know a lot of times, uh, you know, whether it's spaces or my articles, people will be like, "Oh, you're saying Keldon can't be an All Star? Well, he he's going to do this or he's going to do that." But for me, it's always like, okay, we we got to slow our roll because you're telling me, oh, you know, he's this and that. You know, he can shoot off the dribble from mid range. He creates his own shot. You know, he's got a dynamic dribble. Like he's going to be an All Star, but like. Respectfully, we hadn't seen that. When I see it, I'll tell you. And that's what we've seen recently. Now, his dribble package hasn't been dynamic. He's pretty limited. He's not been a good mid-range shooter. Uh, You know, he's still sort of struggling on floaters inside the paint as of late. But one thing that he is doing, he's getting to the line at a pretty incredible rate, nearly six times per game over his last, I believe, eight games. He's been really good at finishing once he's at the rim, which is something that he has struggled at 
throughout his career. I mean, you just take a look at his numbers from before the All-Star break. You know, before the All-Star break, shooting only 58% at the rim, which was six percentage points below league average. Now he's shooting 68.4% at the rim after the All-Star break, which is 4% above league average. So that's really good. Those are things that you can be really happy for. Has the three-point shooting regressed a little bit? It has a little bit. But you know what? If, if you regress from shooting 48% from three to 38% from three, well, then you're doing something right because 38% yeah. from three is still <laughs> well above league average. So Keldon Johnson, really impressed with him. And as you mentioned, the drives, man. That has been the biggest thing. We've seen his volume since the trade deadline go up a little bit. And I, I, for me, I was a little bit concerned. I went, okay, well, you know, the volume's going up here now that Derek White's gone. What is he going to do? Because he hasn't been finding guys off the dribble. You know, he's not finishing well at the rim. He's got that tunnel vision where, you know, once he makes his mind up, that's what he's doing. You know, he's either going to pass or he's going to try to finish through you. And he's not really aware of what's going on. You know, he's, he's committing careless turnovers. He's forcing things at the rim or around the basket. And we've seen with this uptick in volume and drives, his assist percentage has gone up, his turnover percentage has gone down, his passing percentage is up, his field goal percentage is up, his free throw rate is up on drives specifically. That's awesome. Those are all things that we said, oh, you know, he's not doing this, he's not doing that, he's not doing this. And I'm sure he's not listening to what we're saying, but I'm <laughs> sure the, the coaching staff and Pop are, are telling him something similar. And he took that to heart. And he's implemented it, he's practiced it, and it's in the game now. We're seeing him take that stride. So I don't know where he goes from here, but I wrote an article about the things that we have seen from him. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that he's going to be able to carry this over for the rest of the season. And it's been eight straight games now, Dame, of at least 20 points. That's only four shy of the record for a player under 22 in Spurs franchise history. And that man's name is Tim Duncan. So I'm not saying he's going to be Tim Duncan. I'm not even 100% sure he's going to be an all-star at any point in his career. But if you're watching Keldon Johnson, your Spurs fan, you got to be encouraged. So I want to know what you've seen from him, though, man, because honestly, there's really not a lot to complain about right now. He's playing really well. Yeah, I um. So in that same game preview that I mentioned earlier, kind of heading into this topic, uh, I wrote that Keldon in 17 of his last 28 games, he scored 20 or more points or at least 20 points rather. And, you know, against Minnesota, he did it again. So that's 18 out of, you know, 29 games. And overall, I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me this season, you know, whether it's over this stretch or this season in general from him, is the fact that he's actually, like, I think we can firmly, like, believe that he's a well above average, I think, standstill three-point shooter, catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. I think the biggest thing for me, looking just at the raw numbers, is on basically double the volume, he's a 40% three-point shooter now. Last year on two, you know, 2.63s, uh, he was only shooting 33%, which is, you know, well below league average. And I think for me, what stood out is, how he's been able to be effective, although there's not a lot of shot versatility per se, kind of off the ball for him or on the ball, really, he's still able to be effective. I mean, if you're placing in the 85th percentile as a spot-up shooter, if you're shooting 43% on catch-and-shoot threes, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter, you know, where you're, what stage in your development, that's that's a skill set that fits the modern NBA. So I think as long as Keldon's able to do that and continue those flashes, man, because if he's able to actually create off the bounce for these for these players, for you know his teammates, for himself, man, you talk about opening up the offense a bit. That would do a lot. I mean, I don't think he's gonna have you know quote unquote on ball gravity like you know Luka Doncic or something like that. But still, having the ability to attack a bad closeout or to be more than a you know a one trick pony essentially with the ball in your hands, I think that's really really important. And I think regardless of what happens over these next couple of games. If Keldon can tighten up that handle, because I agree, the handle, I mean, you know, respectfully, it looks a little stiff, right? It's a little tight. It's not as, you know, tight in a, you know, not the good way that basically he needs some work there. But I think overall, man, Keldon's definitely taking these, you know, these positive steps in the right direction. And I think overall, you have to be very, very excited about where he's going as a player. I don't know. We'll probably talk about his contract stuff in the offseason, I'm sure. But I think right now, man, be encouraged. I, I think... That's what I kind of want everyone to take away from this. And I also think it's just about leveraging what you're good at and making up for your weaknesses. And I think early on in the season, as we mentioned, I mean, he wasn't particularly good at covering up for his weaknesses. But now that he's starting to put everything together, you know, he's got that shooting prowess that guys are screaming towards him, right? They're running at him hard. These closeouts are incredibly aggressive. And he can throw you a pump fake. Or he can let you, you know, get even with him 
and then he'll get by you. He's not like the quickest guy, but he's really, really strong. And he's understanding how to leverage that shooting prowess into driving lanes. And that was the first step, right? Okay, now the guys are closing out on you, attack the driving lanes. And he would do that, but then he would miss teammates. And now he's not just attacking these closeouts and trying to get to the rim, but he's realizing that there's got to be a help defender who's got to rotate to stop him from getting to the rim. And he's not just bullying through them. He's not just trying to force his way to the basket. He's finding teammates. And some of these dump-off passes and some of these kickouts, they've been impressive considering he really hadn't shown that before. So just really encouraging stuff from Keldon Johnson. And I think that's about it for the players. I mean, we've seen positive stuff from other guys. We'll do a more in-depth like season review in the next episode, which is one that I'm really excited for because we're going to get a chance to take a look at all of our really good takes and be, you know, proud that, hey, yo, I called that. And we're also going to have a chance to sort of just admit we were wrong about things because nobody bats 100. If we were batting 100, we wouldn't be on this podcast. We'd be working for some team. We would be, I don't know, we wouldn't be here. That's all I know. We would not be here if we were batting 100 (laughs) on all of our takes. But that's the beauty of having takes. But, man, let's go ahead and move on to our final topic and look ahead at this Spurs playing matchup against New Orleans. I mean, this is going to come up next week. As of right now, it will be in New Orleans since San Antonio is the lower seed. San Antonio is 3-1 and one against the Pelicans this season, but honestly, no game is going to hold more weight for these two teams than this divisional showdown to keep, you know, honestly, just keep their playoff hopes alive. That's what these teams are doing. They're not in the playoffs. They're in the play-in, and so this is kind of the biggest matchup for either team. So, Dane, what are some of the keys to victory for the Spurs team, and are there any matchups that you're going to be keeping an eye on really closely as we head into this game? Yeah, I think for me, First, I gotta show I gotta show some love to C.J. McCollum since he's arrived in New Orleans. Uh, he's a player that I felt like has always been really underrated. And coming to New Orleans, obviously defensively, you've always known he's gonna be kind of a little bit of a a little bit of a mismatch on that end. But offensively, man, averaging twenty five point six points, four point eight rebounds, six point one assists, shooting fifty percent from the field, forty percent from three. It's it, he's he just fits everything that you want as just an on-ball creator. He can run the pick and roll. He can create for himself. I've used the term on-ball gravity again, and with him, it's like I said, it's not in the same tier as a guy like a Luka Doncic, Trey Young, whomever. But he just he knows he knows the game, the ins and outs of the game. He's just a natural basketball player, a natural offensive player. I think that's kind of what sticks out to me most is the comfort and the confidence in his game with the ball in his hands. Uh, I think he can even do some off-ball stuff, too. That's kind of a little bit underrated in his game as well. So, overall, man, I just love his game. And I think when it comes to matchups, the Spurs got to do something with him. Because C.J. McCollum is a guy that can, like, like I mean, obviously he's shown it over, you know, a, a big stretch here with New Orleans. But he's a guy for me that he can get you 30 and, and eight assists and, you know, a couple rebounds and really impact the game as it, you know, goes down to the wire. So, I personally really am watching C.J. McCollum to see how, what that looks like. Also, New Orleans, in their games against San Antonio, uh, they're shooting 46% uh, from the field, 33% from three, and 73.6% uh, from the line against the Spurs. And those are all well below their averages in their you know wins on the year. Uh, I believe the numbers where they shot, I think, over 36% from three in their wins, uh, 48% from the field. So the Spurs have actually defended them relatively well. And the Spurs have also not been a good defensive team this year. So that's going to be kind of interesting for me to see, Noah. And last, uh, lastly, I think the Valanciunas-Pirtle matchup from last year's plan is going to be pretty interesting to watch as well. I know Valanciunas was a little banged up, you know, when I wrote this write-up. But I think in general, that's going to be an interesting matchup, right? Because Pirtle, Pirtle's defense against guys that can actually kind of bang buys with him down low, have some good footwork and stuff like that. It's pretty interesting to see how he defends those kind of guys because... Obviously, I don't expect him to stop Joel Embiid, but those kind of second-tier kind of post scores like that, I'm kind of curious to see how he looks. So for me, no, those are kind of like my big kind of three things so far, but I would love to hear your take, especially you got one thing at the very end of this rundown that I would love to hear your opinion on about Zion. So we'll go we'll go there. Yeah, yeah. So so I guess like the Pirtle one with Valanchunas is huge because last year Pirtle went for 10 points, 10 rebounds. He had five blocks. They were all against guards except for one uh, that came against Valanchunas, but he also had five fouls. So, I mean, it's not that he was bad by any means, but you take a look at Valanchunas in that game, 23 points, 
23 rebounds. You didn't hear me wrong. 23. He had 23 rebounds, five offensive rebounds. That's a ton of second chance points. And he had three blocks. Two of them came against Jakob. So, you know, clearly he outplayed Jakob in that game. And I'm not, you know, he doesn't have the luxury of playing with Jaron Jackson and John Moran and Desmond Bain and Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks anymore. But this Pelicans team is still good. And I think if you want to win this matchup, I know it gets overrated sometimes that, okay, you know, rebounding is not the most important thing. But I think it is really important that you keep the other team off the offensive boards. Because if you give a team like New Orleans, really any team, you know, chance after chance after chance against a scrambling defense when you can't secure a rebound, not only is it demoralizing, but it's really hard to keep them off the scoreboard even if you're playing good initial defense. So that's going to be really, really huge for the Spurs. I think the C.J. McCollum one's going to be huge too. I would imagine DeJounte Murray gets that. You know, he seems like the most logical guy who will be covering C.J. McCollum. He's been out now four games, I believe, with this upper respiratory illness. It's not COVID. Uh, they haven't disclosed what it is in particular, but DeJounte went on Twitter and said, you know, I've lost seven to eight pounds. I'm exhausted, you know, this and that. And so I'm not worried about it. But I want to see DeJounte playing these last couple of games to get himself back up to speed because I think if he comes into this matchup and he's not feeling 100%, then you don't really have a lot of answers for a guy like CJ McCollum. And I think DeJounte Murray, you know, whether or not he makes an all-defensive team, I think we can all agree he's one of the better, or not just better, one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. And if you want to disrupt a guy like CJ McCollum, then throw an elite on-ball stopper at him. And you want to see DeJounte at 100%. But we can talk about some of the other things from this matchup because there really are a lot of interesting things that have come from these games this season. I know the Spurs went 3-1, and one, but I don't think that's the entire story. You know, they're missing Zion. They missed Brandon Ingram in two of these matchups. CJ McCollum was only there for two of these matchups. This is not the same team that they played at the beginning of the season. And as you mentioned, Zion Williamson is kind of one of the, the things that is a question mark for this game. Now, I, if I was New Orleans, I would say don't worry about it. We're not going to play Zion this year. He hasn't been healthy all year. It doesn't really make sense to integrate him last minute. But we saw Zion Williamson's stepfather go on a local radio show and say, yeah, I fully expect Zion to play this season for the Pelicans. And, well, I mean, you're in a playing game. What else could that mean? You know, that seems like he's saying, you know, Zion is going to play. Now, he also said it's up to the team. I realize that, but... He started doing full court workouts. They don't have a timetable for his return, but it seems like he could return for this game. So personally, I don't think that he should. Not just because I'm, you know, rooting for the Spurs to win this game, maybe, but also it just doesn't make a lot of sense. What is your opinion on that? Because I think if he does return, even if he's on a minutes restriction, like we saw in his debut against the Spurs a few seasons ago, he can still be a game changer. That was really huge when he even even on that minutes restriction. He dominated the Spurs. So, what are your opinions on that? Yeah, man. Personally, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be playing Zion at all. <laughs> not not right now. I would just let it rock, let it ride out, and you know we'll start it again next year. But oh my goodness, man! I remember that game like it was yesterday when he was hitting those threes. What did he hit, like three in a row? I was like, oh my goodness! Hey, I was like, ain't no way, Noah. I was like, ain't no way, man. Like <laughs> literally that. Yeah, Zion just—he's an amazing talent. I'm still a big believer in him personally. I think there's a—that's honestly, honestly, no, like a topic I would love to discuss with like I'm a sports psychology major per, or minor rather personally, and I think I would love to talk with someone that's a major in that because I think there's a lot going on there, you know, kind of behind the scenes. And I think right when he gets his mental in check, man, he's gonna be a fantastic player. I mean, he's gonna be It's just gonna be. It's going to be amazing. I'm just going to put it like that. As far as specific other things, though, with this matchup in particular, a couple of numbers stood out to me, kind of when I'm just looking at the, the Pelicans from a broad perspective here. As a pick-and-roll team, they're the third-worst offense in terms of points per possession. They're with the Magic and the Pistons at a relatively like high frequency of, of uh, six, over 16%. They're they're third they're the third worst at you know point seven points per possession that places them in the sixth percentile. They they had a, a scoring frequency of thirty seven percent. They only shoot forty you know thirty nine percent on shots out of the pick and roll for their pick and roll ball handlers. So I think that's going to be interesting to see 
Because the Spurs in general, I know you've mentioned this a couple times, so the Spurs tend to like funnel middle and really kind of just give everything to Jakob, right? And the pick and roll, like he's everything for them. I'm curious to see how the Spurs defend that and what they do against a team that in, you know, that could be a reason why they added CJ McCollum, of course, because I think he's one of the better pick and roll ball handlers in the league. But it's going to be interesting to see how the Spurs kind of force them to play to their weaknesses, if they can do that. And you mentioned, you know, DeJounte's deal, right? Like, he may not be 100% healthy, right? Feeling great. It could be it could be an interesting matchup to see what are the how the Spurs how are they going to cater to what's going on right now, right? Like if they don't have DeJounte on the on the perimeter at least as an on-ball defender, what's that going to look like, you know, is that going to have a domino effect for their team defense, something that they've struggled with all year? So, I think that's one thing that uh, kind of really stood out to me. And lastly before I kind of uh, throw it to you again. So the Pelicans they're third and second chance points and 11th in points in the paint. And the Spurs, they rank 28th and 26th in those defensive categories. So, I don't know, man. It, it, this this matchup, especially, you know, specifically on the defensive end, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. I'm personally thinking it might be a pretty high-scoring game, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I actually think it might be sort of like the Grizzlies game last year uh-huh. where, you know, it wasn't like that high-scoring. Both teams didn't really shoot that well from the field, but it's going to be super competitive, you know, tooth and nail. And I expect that. I mean, like the playoffs, this is not the playoffs, but it is a playoff atmosphere. These kind of games, you know, everything kind of slows down. Teams are a little bit more methodical. Defenses are set. I just, I don't really know what to expect. I think the one thing that is going to be really huge, not just DeJounte being available, you know, as a defender, because I'm pretty sure he's going to be back. Like all the indications, he's going to be back before the end of the season. He's going to be fine for this matchup. But even when he has been healthy, he really struggled scoring against the Pelicans this season. You know, 40% from the field, 26% from three. And that's in four matchups. I mean, like, I just don't really know that there is any team that's better equipped to stop DeJounte than the Pelicans. Not only do they have Herb Jones, who arguably as a rookie should be on the all-defensive first or second team, just been amazing for them as a defender. They've stuck him on DeJounte each time, and he has really bothered DeJounte. And then you got Jose Alvarado, you know the the little point guard they have there, who's you know hiding in the in the corner of the courts, sw- uh, you know swiping balls from behind, you know coming over as a as a help defender, poking balls free. Like he's really bothered Dejounte as well. And even when Dejounte's able to get to the rim, Jackson Hayes has blocked eight of his shots this season. I mean, Dejounte is not really a guy who finishes with you know power above the rim. And he's not really a guy, at least for most of the season, who has really sought out contact. He usually looks to finish with length. And Jackson Hayes has smacked a ton of his shots off the backboard. So this is sort of like the perfect trio to keep DeJounte in check. Now, the one thing I will say is even though he hasn't really scored very well, you know, he's still nine rebounds, nearly 10.3 assists per game against the Pelicans this year. So he can still get his teammates involved. And I think that's going to be really huge because even if DeJounte does not shoot well, he's proved that he can get his teammates involved, that he can make them better. And that's going to be huge because if he, if he can get the ball to other guys, but they're not making their shots, then it won't really matter because DeJounte is the head of the snake. You cut off the head of the snake, well, he's going to dish it out to somebody. But if they're not making their shots, if Devin's not making his shots, Keldon's not making his shots, you know, Josh Richardson's not making shots, then it doesn't really matter. So... For me, this is going to be a really tight matchup. I'm excited for it, really, honestly. A team that has this much familiarity, you know, they're in the same division. They play each other four times a year. This is the same thing as the Grizzlies a year ago. Make it a fifth matchup. And it was arguably the best matchup of the year. So, man, that that's kind of all the thoughts that I have on this matchup. Unless you have anything else, oh, I got one I'd thing. love to hear it if you do. I got, yeah, I got, uh, you know, oh, lay it on me. No, I got one more thing because we got to do it. If, if we're going to be the guys that say that some people think are being a little too negative or whatever, and we have takes that we're going to go and review. I think it's. I think we're going to start it right now, man. I need a prediction. Who do you think is going to win? I need to hear it. I need to hear a score. I need to hear all of that, man. I want to hear it. Personally, I think the Blazers – or the Blazers, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and they, the Blazers beat the Spurs, we're going to no, have an if issue. The, if the Spurs are playing the Blazers in the play-in, then it's a 40-point blowout, no doubt. Uh, no, yeah. no, no. So they're, so they're playing New Orleans – And I think New Orleans will be healthy at this point. You know, they're going to have Brandon Ingram. They're going to have CJ McCollum. They might have Zion. I'm not going to go ahead. I'm not going to, I'm going to go ahead and assume that he won't play, but they still have CJ. They still have Brandon. They got Herb Jones. They've got a guy like Jose Alvarado who's been really good off the bench for them. And one guy who I think 
is kind of discounted is Devontae Graham. It's kind of weird to say they go as he goes, but he's a guy who takes a ton of shots, especially from three. Now, he's not really that efficient. He's below the average from every area on the court, but he gets hot in a hurry. Like, if this guy gets hot in a hurry, he drops 30, he drops 25, he drops, you know, whatever, then you could have a problem. So, I'm looking at this game through a realistic lens. They've got relatively good depth. They've got some really nice top-tier talent in terms of Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas. I think the Pelicans edge the Spurs out in a really close one. I'm going to go ahead and say it's something like 102 to 98. Like, I think this will be a one or two possession game, but I could be wrong. Like, when we look back at this, I wouldn't be surprised if the Spurs do win. You know, even though they're not necessarily playing their best basketball of the season, I think they're entering this game with the most confidence that they've had all year, especially going 7-3 and three over their last 10, and I believe 8-3 and three over their last 11. So they have a lot of confidence coming into this matchup. And they're the team that I think has more to lose, if that makes sense. Like, the Pelicans don't really have a lot to lose. If they lose, they lose. Who cares? Zion can come back next year. You own the Lakers lottery pick. I think the Spurs are more motivated to win this game. And maybe that's a little bit biased on my on my part because I, I cover the Spurs every single game. And it just feels like they really want this. But that's just how I see this matchup. So what do you think is going to happen? You know, what are your keys here? And what's the score? And who's going to be the big-time players in this game? <laughs> Oh man. Oh man. I think for me see this this is it's such this is such a unique matchup. Like I think I hope the the listeners know like all the numbers we've thrown out and everything we talked about this matchup really is tough uh to evaluate. I think personally it's going to be now I said high scoring. I guess that was more of like a boomer take because like <laughs> if you score in the 110s uh these days that's not really like crazy high. I was thinking it's going to be like 116 112. You know, two two times they played this season, the winning team scored 124 points. I don't think they'll get that high. Probably, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go 115-111. Things going to be, again, really close game. I think the Pelicans will edge the Spurs. I think only because defensively, I think the Pelicans can, especially if Valanciunas gets going early. Devontae Graham, you've mentioned, right? He's always been that high volume, not really efficient kind of three-point shooter. But I think C.J. McCollum and B.I. pose a really big threat for the Spurs off the bounce. I'm not going to lie, though. You've mentioned the Spurs' confidence, and they're playing, uh, regardless of who they're playing in terms of the teams, they're a confident group right now. They're, I mean, you can't tell them anything otherwise, right? So I think it's going to be really close. I think the scoring prowess of, of a guy like McCollum, of B.I., I think Valanchunas, of, of Devontae Graham, uh, you mentioned Jose Alvarado, a little six-foot guard, 23 years old, just like me, man. I, I think the Pelicans have an interesting group, right? It's really <laughs> intriguing. But I think the Spurs, they're, they're just going to lose a close one in, in, against New Orleans. I think it's going to be – it's going to be – it's it's going to be one of those games where you look back and you're like, man, if only that possession changed a little bit, we'd be talking about something else. Like, you remember when they played Denver back in 2018 – or what was it, 2018, 2019 – and uh, the Spurs ended up making it really close late. They had a couple of, of chances really late to tie the game or even go up. And they fumbled the opportunity. I think we're going to see a little bit of the Spurs late game kind of uh, execution. Kind of still struggle. Try, kind of still kind of bite them in the end. And I think overall the Pelicans will, will edge them out in a close one, a four-point uh, four victory for New Orleans. I think that's fair. And two guys who I, I know we mentioned him like really briefly. But Jackson Hayes has been starting at the four next to Jonas Valanciunas. And... I think that's really like going to be an interesting dynamic because you look at how the Spurs have played the Pelicans since they had that huge blowout loss, right? Just one game since then, but they've tried to combat that with a two-big lineup. And so your two-big lineup is Jakob Pertl and probably Zach Collins, right? I imagine Keita Bates-Diop may come off the bench as your four. I don't see Jock Landale coming off the bench too much. I mean, he could if one of those guys are tired or in foul trouble, but that's going to be a really interesting dynamic because not only do they have Jackson Hayes and they also have Jonas Valanciunas, but Willie Hernan Gomez has been really solid off the bench for them this year as a scorer, as a defender, he's a sieve. You know, he's basically a turnstile. You're going to score him in every time. He's not a good defender. But they also have a guy, Larry Nance Jr., who is one of the better and more versatile defenders at the four. He can, you know, guard three, four, five. That's going to be interesting, too. He played a little bit in the last game. That was one of his first games of the season. He's starting to get some chemistry with these guys. He's starting to go on a roll here. So 
just a lot of interesting things to keep track of for this matchup. But, man, I think that about does it unless, really, you have any last things you want to add. <laughs> I want to give you every chance to get any <laughs> last thought you have about this matchup because this is pr probably going to be you know, the, one of the last games of the season, you know, regardless if the Spurs yeah. win this or lose this or make it to the playoffs, you know, they're not a champion. They're not a Western Conference finalist. So this is probably one of their last games of the season, regardless of what happens. Yeah, I think before we close it out, I just want to thank everyone at Pounding the Rock, yourself included, man, for my first season. You know, I, it's this is dope. <laughs> I learned so much. Regardless of what happens after this, man, I'm I'm very I was it's been an honor to work with you and you know, JR with everyone really. It's been an honor to get grilled a couple of times with my stuff. I feel like I've learned so much <laughs> from those opportunities though, man. And um to all the listeners, thank you. I believe we're what were we know like number three on Apple Podcasts for Spurs Podcast or something like yep. that recently. Like yep. yeah, man, I appreciate every single one of y'all from the bottom of my heart. And uh you as well, brother. Like, yeah, you know you mean a lot to me, bro. So I appreciate you. I appreciate everyone that's been listening. And uh, regardless of what happens, I mean, this next episode, the season in review, I hope y'all listen and tune in because there's some things I was right about, some things I was wrong about, and uh, I'm no stranger to admitting my faults, so I'm ready to get into that, but that's all I got, bro. Yeah, man, and I really appreciate you, you know, I don't know if the listeners really know this, but like Dame and I, we have a meeting every single week, it's usually about like 30 minutes to an hour, we talk about, you know, what are we going to talk about on this episode, you know, we text each other back and forth about the games, we make this rundown here. You know, Dame wrote the run rundown this week. And so he puts a lot of time into this. Like, I know it's only usually like an hour episode, but, you know, outside of just writing for us at Pounding the Rock, he does a ton for this podcast. He's helped me so much as a co-host. So, man, I, I really appreciate you. And it, it makes me feel really good that, you know, you, you're showing us praise and that, you, you know, you thank me for helping you because, honestly, you've helped me a lot too. You know, being able to edit your work, being able to, you know, help you grow has helped me grow as well. So, man, the feeling is mutual, but, you know, that does it for this week. So, again, thank you for hopping on yet another episode as my co-host. So, just go ahead and let everybody know, these good Spurs fans know, where they can find your content, where they can find you on social media, and the floor is yours, man. Yeah, so go ahead and follow me on Twitter, at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. I do a lot of football stuff uh, for Rear Goes Rag. Where, you know, I cover the commander, so... You get a lot of commanders content from me. You know, I'll get you'll get some Spurs tweets and some Spurs. You know, I've been doing a lot of like previews and stuff this season. You know, hopefully I can kind of really start to dabble with the NBA draft stuff, some offseason stuff, you know, heading into the, you know, the summer. I can't wait for that. But yeah, man, I'm it's it's been fun. Y'all be sure to subscribe to the show. Show Noah some love. Noah's been doing some great stuff. I love all the AP style tweets he puts out. It's, you know, <laughs> low key, low key when Matt said that, I just started laughing. I was like, that's a fact, bro. That's a fact. But overall, yeah, thank y'all for tuning in, bro, and audition to you, man. Yeah, and if you want to find those AP style tweets, you can follow me at N underscore Magaro. And, you know, thank you again for joining us. And thanks to everybody who tuned in for this uh, episode of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We've got an amazing staff of writers, including myself, Damian Bartonek, J.R. Wilco, Marilyn Dubinsky, Bruno Passos, Jesus Gomez. I mean, you name it. We've got a a loaded roster over at Pounding the Rock, so go ahead and check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.